Welcome to episode 23 of Fearless Rebel Radio. I am so excited because today, Tuesday, February 17th, is the official launch of my free online Rock Your Body class that y'all better be at, all of you. So stop what you're doing. Go to rockyourbodynow.com and enter your name and email address. And also just like watch the really amazing promotional video that I threw together for it because it's I'm pretty proud of that. Um, This is for the woman who wants to ditch dieting and really kick that diet mentality to the curb and eat food effortlessly and love your body, which I know a lot of you are like, yeah, that's me. That's why I listen to this podcast. So I've created a free video training series for you. You'll get access to three different videos, all helping you to sort of connect the dots as to, you know, why you can't stop thinking about food all the time or why you can't stop obsessing over your body. And you'll get three different missions that you can implement so that you can start to change that and start to embrace your body and eat food effortlessly. So again, it's rockyourbodynow.com. Head there. Um, You'll be able to find the info on my website at summerinandin.com, but it's just easier and it's easier to remember if you go to rockyourbodynow.com. So check that out. All right. On today's show, I have an amazing woman uh, that I interview here, Cindy Springford. You may know her from the Facebook page, Love Your Body Project, which has quickly become one of my favorite Facebook pages to follow. She uh, talks about how to build self-trust and really let go and how to cultivate that inner transformation that's necessary to really break up with dieting and feel good in your body. Plus, we talk about exercise addiction and her own path to body acceptance and so much more. For all of the links to her work, as well as the books that she mentions in this episode, head to summerinandin.com forward slash FRR 23, and you'll see it in the show notes. Anytime you can really just go to summerinandin.com forward slash FRR, and you'll get links to all the different episodes that I've had and their corresponding show notes. But this one is episode 23. All right, enjoy. Do you know where you are? You're in Fearless Rebel Radio, baby. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a certified nutritional practitioner, diet rebel, and food lover on a mission to help you feel hot damn fearless in your body. Fearless Rebel Radio is here to empower you to defy the standards and break the rules in order to radiate confidence, relish in your uniqueness, and live life fearlessly on your own terms. Every episode, I will help you to do this by sharing practical advice, not so PG-rated rants, and interviews with Fearless Rebel guests. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. I am really excited for you to get to know today's guest because she has recently become one of my favorite people to follow on social media. Today's guest is Cindy Springford. Cindy is an ACE AFAA certified personal trainer, RRCA certified running coach, and certified eating psychology coach, and has worked in the fitness industry since 1993. Currently, she works at Pumps Real Fitness for Women 
in Wo- Woburn, Woburn, <laughs> Massachusetts. Yep. Oh my gosh, I practiced it, but I forget. Where she does personal training and she also works as an eating psychology coach. You may know her from her Facebook page, Love Your Body Project, Peace, Love, and Food, which, as I said, has quickly become one of my pa- favorite pages to to follow and like and share from. So welcome to the show, Cindy. Thank you, Summer. I'm happy to be here with you. Yeah, I'm really excited because I, as I was, we were kind of chatting offline, I, you know, your, your Facebook insights, uh, I just, I, they resonate so much with me and I just, I love, I love the way you kind of frame things up. And and so I'm really excited to, uh, you know, to ask you a bunch of questions and for you to kind of share those insights with our audience. I am just as excited as you. Yeah. So before we get started, why don't you tell everyone a little bit more about, about your story and how you got to where you are today? Well, it basically started when I was a young girl. I grew up with a mom who was a chronic dieter. She was married to the scale. She was a militant weight watcher. When I was about 10 or 11, I remember going to the school nurse for that weigh-in that they would do every year. And I remember being a few pounds heavier than my peers, but at the same time, I was also developing early. I had gotten my period when I was 11, and I was already having to wear a bra. So now, as an adult thinking back, I can sort of understand why I weighed a little bit more than people my age, because I was developing a woman's body. But back then, I didn't have the maturity or the clarity to understand that. And apparently, my mother didn't either, because she was petrified that I was going to gain weight, I was going to have a weight problem, people were going to make fun of me, all those kinds of things. So I remember her starting to really sort of instill in me that I had to change because my body wasn't good as it was. So I think a lot of people learn that from their parents or, you know, their their siblings or their grandparents or aunts and uncles or, you know, however the case is, teachers. So I actually have a memory of going into the kitchen, sneaking into the kitchen, and going into my refrigerator and taking a sleeve of cupcakes out of the refrigerator and hiding them in my sweatshirt and tiptoeing back to my bedroom and shutting the door so I can eat them privately. So at that point, I had already gotten the message that there was something wrong with what I was doing and I wasn't allowed to eat this in front of people. Yeah. Based on kind of how I was, you know, treated about food with my mom. And I, I had grown up with a brother who was naturally lean. He could eat whatever he wanted. He never gained a pound. So it was kind of that sort of environment that got me into my sort of dysfunctional way of thinking about myself, a little body dysmorphic. I... As I got older, I was always up and down with my weight and my mother, you know, she would, she met well and I, I understand this now, but, you know, I think I sort of would rebel. I would gain weight in rebellion to her because whenever she would suggest dieting, I would want to go the opposite way and it's just typical, you know, teenager kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I actually was a cigarette smoker for a while, which helped to curb <laughs> the, the food, actually. I smoked from, oh, I want to say maybe 12 or 13 years old until about 20. Mm-hmm. And then I decided I was going to quit smoking and join a gym because, again, I was petrified of losing weight. I was petrified of gaining weight, I should say, and I knew that if I wasn't smoking, I was probably going to reach for food and, you know, I had a huge problem with that. So a friend of mine dragged me to the gym 
to take an aerobics class. And I was not impressed at all. I said, this is just ridiculous. I don't have rhythm. I don't want to do this. She says, well, there's this new thing called step. I think you might like it. So that just gives you an idea of how old I really am. Cause, you know, I, <laughs> I remember that too. <laughs> Do you remember that too? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so lo and behold, I took my first step class and I actually enjoyed it. And I became very, um, not, I don't want to say obsessed, but I was, I was super enthusiastic. I was really into it. I took a lot of classes. I have the kind of personality, sometimes it could be all or nothing. I'm either 100% into something or I can't be bothered. So the instructors and the managers at the gym I was working out at approached me and they said, you know, we're hosting a certification and we think that you'd be a good instructor. So any thoughts about, you know, taking the certification and we'd hire you to teach. So I said, yeah, you know, why not? couldn't hurt. So when I was 21, I passed the certification and I started teaching classes. And it started with just mostly step classes because that was my love at the time. And then about a year after that, I decided to become a certified personal trainer because I sort of dabbled in weight training a little bit, but I hadn't really gotten much into it. But I knew that there was something to this fitness field. I knew that I kind of found my niche and I really wanted to kind of help other people because exercise really kind of made me feel good. And I figured if, if it makes me feel good, I can make others feel good too. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it all started. But it's so interesting when I look back on it now because my platform for exercise and working in gyms and teaching group exercise classes was my way of practicing my dysfunction, which is kind of interesting. So many people in the fitness industry are broken, and I was one of those people. I can totally relate to that, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so I ended up getting more certifications, teaching more classes, and, you know, of course, then all the diets that came along the pike, it was low carb, it was Weight Watchers, it was everything you can possibly imagine, and I had never really gotten to the point where I felt comfortable with who I was. I was 10 or 15 pounds heavier, and I didn't feel much better. I was 10 or 15 pounds lighter, and I didn't feel much better, and it was like I always felt that I needed to look a certain way and be a certain way in order to be worthy. I felt like I wasn't inherently worthy. I had to prove myself and I needed to earn people's love and approval and respect because I had gotten the message loud and clear as a child that there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. So I sort of went down that path for a little while and, you know, I ended up getting into running back about, I want to say maybe 12 or 13 years ago. And I was actually, you know, pretty good at it. I did um, well in local races I would place in my age group. And then I decided I was going to run a marathon. So I decided to run for a charity and I ran the Boston Marathon in 2008. And I actually did pretty well. I ran it in about three hours and 55 minutes. And then I got obsessed with running and I got obsessed with exercise and it just kind of spiraled from there and I was still kind of up and down with the food and I was still really up and down with body image issues and I was always shying away from the mirror and I would just have these intense moments of self-loathing and self-hate and it was really, really difficult for a long time and something about turning 40, the light bulb went on and I just got so tired of kicking the shit out of myself every time I turned around, you know, I was always tired of putting myself down. I was tired of trying to live up to other people's expectations. I was tired of trying to prove myself, whether it's by running a fast time in a race or having six-pack abs or eating the perfect diet or being the perfect person. I just burned out. I'd had enough. And I hit rock bottom in a way, emotionally. And then I decided that, you know, I'm going to be this person for however long I'm on this 
planet and I am going to either be at war with myself for the rest of my life or I'm going to have to get comfortable with the vehicle I'm in. So that was kind of how my relationship started with healing my body image issues and my disordered eating issues and my yo-yo dieting and my chronic dieting and that kind of thing. So that was sort of like my wake-up call. I think I decided it was time. I was 40 years old. I wasn't a princess anymore. I was a grown woman and it was time to act like one. So that's kind of how it started. Yeah. Well, good for you. I mean, I think that some people can just continue to go on and on down that path and it just, it never ends. So um, Mm. it's good that that 40 year old birthday was the catalyst to helping you realize that you didn't want to spend another like 30 years kind of in that mindset. Yeah, it was it was 30 years too long. But at the same time, nothing is for nothing. And I really believe that everything that we go through has a purpose to it. And had I not gone through all those things, I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't feel so passionate about helping women as I do now. So it was all meant to happen. And it was all worthwhile. Yes, yes, I can totally relate to that. I say that all the time when I sort of talk about my my past history as well. And, and how I now sort of have this gratitude for it, because it's given me the gift of being able to do what I do today. So um, let's talk about body acceptance. You know, obviously that was really important for you on on your journey to getting you where you are today. What was that road to acceptance like for you? You know, what what really helped you? How did you get out of that mindset that you weren't worthy as you were as you are? Well, it's interesting. So the first thing that I did was I decided I was going to start reading some books. I needed to find things that were in alignment with this new purpose that I was kind of undergoing. So, and again, like I said before, I'm kind of like an all or nothing person. So I just fully enveloped myself in learning about how to be more body positive and how to develop better eating behaviors. So I always refer to them as the big three. These are these three books that I read that really kind of set me on the right path. The first one was Intuitive Eating by (laughs) Evelyn Triboli and I think Ellen Rush, I think that's her name. And that was the first one. That was the one that really kind of made me think, like, I didn't need meal plans. I didn't need someone from the outside telling me what I had to eat. I didn't need to limit. I didn't need to restrict. I didn't need to measure and count. So I said, oh, that's kind of awesome. So that was like the first book that really kind of got me in that mode. The second book I read was called Diets Are Fattening, and it's by Meg Moranis. You can also find her on Facebook, too. And that was the book that really kind of helped me reconnect hunger with eating. She has mm-hmm. this expression that hunger is the best sauce, and she's right. And I read that book, and that kind of helped to further establish what I had learned in the first book that I had read. And then the final book, which I have recommended to a few of my clients that I work with in eating psychology coaching, is Overcoming Overeating by mm-hmm. Jane Hirschman and Carol Munter. Mm-hmm. That was the book that really sealed the deal for me. The reason why it was so powerful is because it talked about ditching the scale, never getting on the scale again. It also basically made you say, I'm never going to go on a diet ever again in my entire life. I'm breaking up with dieting. It's over. That's it. And also, too, they had some things about mirror work which I thought was really interesting because I'm like, huh, I'd always tried to sort of avoid the mirror. I didn't really want to look at myself in the mirror. And when I was reading the book, I said, hmm, I'm just going to have to look. And it was interesting because the way that they framed it is you start small. You get a full-length mirror and you look at yourself and the idea is to just say what you see and what you notice in a very non-judgmental, objective way. 
And the second that you feel that judgment start to creep in and that criticism start to creep in, you're done for the day. You stop. You don't continue that. And then mm -hmm. the next day you pick it back up again and then so on and so on and so on. So I decided one day I was going to put a bikini on and I was going to stand in front of my full-length mirror and I was just going to look at myself for a few minutes. And I just kind of looked and I noticed what I saw. But I wasn't derogatory about what I saw. I was very objective. I was just, I have broad shoulders, which isn't an insult. It's just the way that I'm built. I have a, th a thicker waist. I don't really have like an hourglass type of shape. I have a very thick, thick, kind of a thick waist, but that's not a bad thing to say. It's just what I noticed. Yeah. I have strong, powerful thighs. Again, not a bad thing, just what I noticed. And then I ended up saying, well, I'm just going to make peace with this once and for all. And I shared my picture with my story in a Facebook group that I'm in, an eating disorder recovery Facebook group. And it was out there for like six or 7,000 people to see myself wow. in this bikini, you know, just kind of that way and just putting myself out there and saying, you know what, here I am, world. This is what I'm going to be. This is who I am. And I'm not going to apologize for it anymore. I'm not going to apologize for the way I look. I'm not going to apologize for who I am. And the response that I got was overwhelmingly positive. And it was very cathartic because it really made me realize that beauty comes in all shapes and sizes. And there's no one predetermined way that a person should look. And that was really kind of what got me going. That's awesome. I um, You mentioned overcoming overeating. Uh, they, they, their other book, When Women Stop Hating Their Bodies, is one of my favorites as well. I read that too. Yeah, yes. it's so good. Yeah, yeah, so good. Um, oh, that's that's awesome. I'll link to all of those uh, all of those books in the show notes for people that are for people that are interested as well, because um, those are all really good ones uh, that I would totally recommend as well. So mm -hmm. it sounds to me like so much of the transformation then started on the inside and and not the outside. Like you had been trying to kind of transform the outside mm -hmm. for all of these years and not getting anywhere. And then it was really like, you know, focusing on the inside instead. And I think that that can be really, um, I think that that can be intimidating and scary for people because it's like really putting yourself in a more vulnerable position to sort of address some of those some of those demons that you maybe have lying underneath. So for people who are kind of in need of doing that inner work, how do you, how do you, how can you, what can you offer them in terms of support or guidance or advice to, to get them to realize that that's where the work needs to be done? I think a big part of it is just being willing to sit with your feelings and I think that's a big problem is that people are always looking for things outside of themselves to feel filled up. You know, we're always looking for people to pay us compliments or we're looking for our jobs to fill the space or we're looking for other people or relationships or, you know, in some cases food to, to fill that space. And I think that what helped me is a lot of time alone. When I started going through my little transformation, I also hit the, hit the wall with my running as well. I had done eight marathons in about a four-year span and I just was tired of running 40 to 50 to 60 miles a week. And it just the joy just kind of got sucked out of it for me. So I did a really hard thing. And I actually broke up with running for a few months and decided I was only going to exercise when I felt inspired 
as opposed to motivated. I'm not a big person on motivation. I think motivation has a sort of like an icky feel to it. Yes. I think inspiration comes from the inside and it's something that flows and it's very natural. I think motivation is like, oh, I'm yes. to, I want you to push me to do it. And my clients say that's me too, so I get that. But it just doesn't have a good feel for me. Yeah, I so totally relate I, to that. Yeah, it just, it just has a weird kind of feel to it. So I went on a lot of walks. I spent time in nature. And I just kind of really let myself be alone with myself. And it sounds kind of strange, but I think that there's a spiritual element that we all need to kind of tap into. And you can call it whatever you want. You can call it God. You can call it the universe. You can call it Buddha. You can call it the Hare Krishna in the airport. You can call it whatever you want. But I think that we're more than just this body. And I think that we need to sort of tap into that spiritual side of us in order to realize just how wonderful a creation we really are. And once we realize how wonderful we are, then we realize that the outside is going to reflect how we feel about ourselves. And I think that's the most important thing because if you don't like who you are, you're never going to like how you look. It's not going to matter. And you can have the perfect body and you're still, you're still going to hate yourself. So I think that's really what, what kind of got me into this whole way of thinking was because if I don't like myself, then it doesn't matter what my body looks like. It's just kind of a, a means to an end. So I needed to find something that was really going to sustain me for the rest of my life. And I think that was just liking the person that I was and feeling comfortable in my own skin no matter what my skin looked like on any given day. Cause I think our bodies are going to change many times and I think it's our character and our spirit and our soul that really matters the most and that's what I had to kind of find out myself. Yeah, that's so that's so good. And I think, um, you know, the way that I kind of frame it up sometimes with with women is that like, you're, you're, you're outside of yourself when you're feeling like body shame, and you're kind of obsessed with food, like you're not you're not one as your as your whole self. And like, that whole process of kind of, you know, finding your worth and knowing you're enough as you are, and just self acceptance is really about kind of like, coming back into yourself and, um, you know, becoming whole again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, I love I love your approach to eating and helping women to, you know, end the deprivation and dieting mentality. And you recently posted um, on your Facebook page your concerns over the message, quote unquote, just eat real food. Uh, Can you talk about that a bit? Sure. Um, I went through a little bit of I guess you can call it the clean eating, the orthorexic, all that kind of stuff back when I was still figuring things out. And now that I've kind of come through the other side of it, I realize how judgmental we could be and how moralistic we become around food. Mm -hmm. Food is religion to some people. And they think that, you know, if you're not eating a pristine diet, there's something wrong with you. And they think that it gives them the right to shame other people that don't eat as well as they do. I don't know how many times I've seen people say, oh, cereal's not real food. And oh, you, you know, this person, McDonald's is killing America. I actually unfollowed a running guy, a PhD, an author that I really liked because he started talking about McDonald's killing America. And, you know, say what you want about McDonald's, but maybe that's all that person could afford on that given day. And, you know, McDonald's isn't killing anyone. The beautiful thing about America is you have the freedom of choice to go there if you want. Yeah. And you have every right to eat wherever you want to eat. And that's not killing America. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, when you get into the sort of the food politics and stuff like that, that's when you sort of lose me because... Yes, it's probably best if we eat the majority of our food from whole, minimally processed sources. I'm not disputing that at all. But 
the problem is when you put limits on things that you're eating, you're basically saying, I'm bad for eating that food. When you label food as good or bad, you're saying, I am good when I eat this and I'm bad when I eat that. So I think that that's just a shame because if we just put all food on a level playing field, we would take sort of that moralism and that elitism right out of it. Carrots and cake are the same. Cookies and vegetables are the same. It's just, it's all food. Yes. And sometimes food can be more nutrient dense and sometimes food can be more calorie dense, but it's food. And you have every right to choose whatever kind of food you want. And if you stop labeling and you just give yourself the freedom to let your body tell you what it wants, you're probably going to just eat real food 80% of the time anyway. If you just let yourself trust your body instead of working against it all the time. So I think that th that message isn't helping anyone. I mean, I think that people's lives and their examples speak a lot louder than their words do. I would definitely watch how someone lived their life and go by their example as an inspiration to change instead of them shaming me and pointing the finger and telling me that I need, I need to eat more kale. You know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. So it's, it's just, it's not helping. I think if you want to put the message out that people should eat more food, real food, then eat real food and prepare beautiful dishes and promote what you love instead of bashing what you don't. I think that's the problem is people just get too judgmental and, they, and they're into this all the shaming, whether it's body shaming or food shaming. And quite frankly, I just think it needs to stop. Yeah, I mean, it's all like the, the demonization of, of food, right? And, um, and it's always associated with with weight, which like we know is not a marker of health, right? You know, it's Absolutely. <laughs> and it and and I think we, we certainly have a really long way to go with that. And, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, and I mean, I, I totally agree. I, one thing I, I always say is just food is just food, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that as soon as you start to look at it that way. Mm -hmm. That is like a game-changing mentality. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you sort of talked about, you sort of touched on it just now mentioning, you know, when you actually listen and trust your body, you know, your body's going to know that it wants nourishing food and you're probably going to end up eating, you know, healthy things um, the majority of the time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if, if you're working with clients, and, and I know you've said this, like you don't tell them what, when, or how to eat. Rather, you mm -hmm. teach them how to tell themselves. How does somebody go from that diet mentality where they're constantly relying on you know external sources and external cues and different authorities to dictate how they eat to actually trusting themselves? I think it starts with especially if they've been entrenched in the dieting mentality for a long time, they just have to go hog wild for a while. They mm -hmm. have to be willing to lose control. They have to be willing to sort of overdo it. And I think that's what I've told my clients too. I said, sometimes you need to eat a little too much and sometimes you need to eat not enough in order to know what satiety feels like because people just have no clue what fullness feels like, what hunger feels like because between all the, the meal skipping and the irregular meal timing and all the dieting and everything else, their appetite signals are just completely off. So I just basically tell them you need to just write down – what you want to eat and then you need to try to figure out when your body is telling you it's time to eat and then I want you to satisfy whatever it is that your body is asking for. If you want to have ice cream for breakfast, lunch and dinner for a week, then I think you should do that because eventually you're just going to say, I don't want ice cream anymore. Yeah. You, but you have to you have to commit to it and people are, I, I see when I, when I tell a woman that in my office, she gives me the 
the glazed over look like, oh my God, I'm never going to stop eating ice cream. And I said, that's the problem. <laughs> you think that you won't ever stop eating ice cream. That's not true. That's trust, because, right? That's not that's trusting yourself. No, yeah. I mean, and, ha- and when you think about it, if you're in a relationship with food, it's a relationship. So how do you learn how to trust somebody? You take a chance, mm-hmm. right? And you just put yourself out there and sometimes, it, sometimes you get hurt, sometimes you get burned, but how else are you going to learn if you just don't make the effort? And I think that's kind of what I tell people is what's worse, going on the way you've been going on because obviously what you're doing isn't working or trying this approach because you're the one who's in control. So even if you think food is controlling you, you're the one that's allowing that. So you're still in control even though you don't think that you are. You're the one who's still calling all the shots. And then when they sort of realize that, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I have more control over this than I realize. They've become so disempowered because they just pay attention to every guru, every diet, every personality, every New York Times bestseller that tells them you can't tr- possibly be trusted because you have to eat breakfast at 7 and a midday snack at, at 2 and then you have to have lunch at 12 and then you have to make sure that you have this many servings of vegetables and this many servings of meat and this many servings of this. So. They're completely not using their body wisdom. They're relying on an outside source to tell them what to eat. And after a while, that's just going to get old because I think nutrition is a moving target. I think that your nutritional needs might not be met all in one day. Maybe it will be met over a course of seven to ten days. Who's to know? So I think people just – they're just so much nutritional confusion out there and they're just – like deer in the headlights, they have no idea what to do. So when it comes down to, I'm going to release everybody else from the responsibility of telling me what to eat, and I'm going to figure this out myself, it's petrifying because now they have to take responsibility. So it's a mixed blessing. Yeah, I think, and I, I love how you kind of um, said, you know, our, our needs are, they're dynamic. And I think that that's such a problem that we fall into is that we we follow these static guidelines that, um, that really cause us to rebel because our needs are so dynamic. You know, you're going to want more food or less food from day to day or starchier food or lighter food. And if you're constantly kind of following following like this template or this guideline, you know, you're, you're not, first of all, probably not giving your body what it needs. And second of all, like, that's just getting your inner rebel to want to come out and take over. Absolutely. Yep. And it happens all the time. And, and no one likes to be told what to do. I don't like to be told what to do. And I found that once I legalized my relationship with food, I realized I could never, ever, ever restrict again. Because if I do, it's, it's over. Because I, I can't have any food rules at all. And that's what I tell my clients. I'm like, when you get to the point where you've healed your relationship with food, you're not going to do well with external systems because now that you are in control and you're in the driver's seat, you don't want to go back to the passenger seat again. You need to sort of be in the driver's seat and you need to be the one that's paying attention because no one else can think in your head and feel in your body. So no one else can possibly tell you what's best for you. That's your job, but you have to be willing to accept the job and show up and do it. That's the thing. Yeah. So how do people like what is your advice for people who have serious fear fears over, um, you know, that they're going to go like hog wild and never and never stop? You know, like, how do you I think I think one of those big fears is probably rooted in, well, I'm going to gain like 100 pounds by doing that. So how do you know, how do you help people overcome those fears? Well, a big part of it, I think, is, again, them breaking up with the scale. 
Mm-hmm. And I basically, when, when I first started doing this and I said, I'm never going to diet again, I'm never going to do anything else, I don't know whether I gained weight or lost weight. And because of the vocation that I have, I wear spandex, like or stretchy everything, which has like a 15-pound window, so who knows? But <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just let them know. I said, your body might change. You might gain weight. You might lose weight. You don't know. But you need to completely get your head out of the whole body type weight loss thing. You have to let go of that as the desired outcome. You need to be more results. You need to be less results focused and more process focused. Because I think that's what happens is people do this so they can get that. And yes. I'm working with a client right now. She's doing all the right things because she thinks that's going to get her her weight loss goal. And she finally realized in our last session, I have to let go of this. Whether it's going to come or whether it's not going to come, I have to just let go of this because I just want to eat like a normal person is what she told me. I just want to eat like a normal person. I said, okay, then that, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do all the right things that's going to set us up for success. But I want you to focus on the process, not the outcome. Because when people get so attached to the outcome, all the other things that pop up that are positive and that are working for them, they don't even pay attention to them because they didn't get that one thing at the end of the line, which is weight loss or smaller thighs or six pack abs or whatever it is. So, I think that that's, that's a big problem is that people just are too attached to the outcome and they need to sort of let go of that. They need to sort of relax into the uncertainty of where this is going to take them. And a lot of people don't like that. People need to be in control. They want to know what's happening instead of just saying, you know what, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah, I love that. Uh, giving up control is not easy. And uh, that's one of the that's one of the prompts that I use with my clients is like, well, what if what if the outcome didn't matter? Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's just, what if that, what if that wasn't there? How would your, how would your approach and how would your mindset be different? And I think that that's a really powerful thing because we're so conditioned to be results oriented. I mean, that's just how our society is built. That's how our, we were, you know, raised. You get, you get good grades in school. Like that means you're a good person. And so to take the results out of the equation, I think can be really hard, but it's essential in terms of giving up that control. I think so too. I think that we're too type A. I think that we're too achievement focused and we're too goal oriented. And sometimes that shoots us in the foot because then we sort of hang our identity and we hang ourselves and our worthiness on what we've got yes, as opposed to who we are and what we're doing. And I think that that's the big problem. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I think you, you said something about that earlier about like the, the internal, like you're always looking for external things to fill yourself up versus the internal and just sitting with what you have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I remember when I was on this quest for my Boston Marathon qualifying time, which was a big deal, and I had run four or five marathons before I finally got my BQ time. And at the time, I had to run a marathon in under three hours and 45 minutes in order to qualify for the Boston Marathon, which meant that I didn't have to run for charity. I could just be there on my own merits and all that stuff. So I ended up getting a 343 at this marathon in Vermont, and I was not really that happy about it, actually. I mean, I felt like, okay, now what? Like, I couldn't celebrate what I just did. Yeah. Which was so sad. I was just saying, okay, now I have to do better. So Uh. it's like you sort of raise the bar, and then once you reach the bar, the bar moves up again. So you're never really happy with where you are because you're always trying to get somewhere else. And I think that that's what people do with their bodies, and that's what they do with dieting, and that's what they do with food. They can't just be where they are. They're always trying to get somewhere else. So you can't really make peace with where you are. So you're not going to get to where you're going until you make peace with where you are. So that's where the paradox comes from. 
Yeah, this it's um it's like that. Um, I wrote a blog post on this once about it's the wanting that we want and not the having, like, because it is that that like always wanting more that actually does trigger like a dopamine reaction in your brain. Like it, we're wired to be that way, and so you know it is hard to break free of that and really just kind of settle with what you have and be happy with where you are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, I really want to talk to you a little bit about exercise addiction because uh, I know that was something that um, you personally experienced. And I believe that's one of the hardest things to overcome and it can really consume your life. And I think that so many women don't recognize that they have an unhealthy relationship to exercise, you know, because we're always told that more is better. We're commended when we show up more often when we push ourselves harder, harder. So how can, you know, how can women or anyone in general just identify with whether they have exercise addiction? I think there's a there's a few things I I can relate to kind of what I sort of thought with my own experience. I was of the opinion that if I didn't work out for two or three hours a day, I didn't have the right to feed myself. Mm. So that's a big thing when you feel like, and that's another thing why numbers are so limiting because everything is about calories in, calories out, which I'm not saying that that's not scientific and that's a whole other discussion for a whole other day. But when you become so numbers focused, you're really limiting yourself, I think. So I was at the point where I was really teaching two classes in a day, running four to six miles and lifting weights every single day. This was my life. Oh my gosh. And no wonder my, my body wasn't changing. I had probably was in this stress response for months and months and months. I lost my period. I didn't get my period for a while. So my body was just not happy with what I was doing and how I was treating it. And I think also, too, another sign is if you're just really tired all the time and you're not getting enough rest because you're just so focused on having to get to the gym and having to get your workouts in. I remember I would go to bed at 10, 11 o'clock at night, and I'd be up at 4 in the morning because I had to meet my workout partner to lift weights and run six miles at 5 in the morning. And I also think, too, it's all about the work-life balance and just realizing how much of my energy am I putting into this one thing. And God forbid if I have to skip a workout because – my husband wants to take me away for the weekend or if I have a family get together and I can't get out and run for a few miles. If you're really that hung up on your routine and that rigid, I think that also speaks volumes too because sometimes you just got to be lazy. Sometimes you just got to be okay with not doing stuff. And I think that that was my issue is I just got downright cranky. If I couldn't work out for two or three hours a day, I was really upset about it. So I think that there's a fine line. You know, they say a Obsessed is a word that the lazy use to describe the dedicated. And that used to be like something I used to say all the time. And now I, I think it's kind of sad because, again, that just speaks to me as being extreme, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that if it's something that you're finding that you, you can't let go of, if you feel like you're using it as a replacement for something, if you feel like that all your relationships are suffering, it's kind of like when people have an eating disorder, everything takes a back seat to their addiction, which is basically either not eating or binging and purging or, or whatever it is. And they lose all those relationships. They lose all that social contact. It's like if someone has that really big problem with orthorexia, with clean eating, they don't want to go out. They don't want to be social. They don't want to have family gatherings where food is present. So I think that when you start to limit your life and you start to limit the people that you're around, I think that's a sign that there's a problem. 
Yeah, that's, uh, and I, you know, you mentioned kind of like fear over skipping a workout or going on vacation and not being able to work out. I think that's huge. That's a huge, huge sign. Um, and just like kind of consuming your day in terms of like when, how you're going to get your workout in and like, that's all you sort of think about. And it, it really does start to dictate dictate your life um and it's it's a really hard I I almost think it's sometimes harder to let go of exercise addiction than it is to you know let go of of dieting because um you know it's just it it gives you so many endorphins like it makes you feel good do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like I feel like for myself that was one of the hardest things to to really let go of and that's something I still have to be really cognizant of is is flipping back into that into that kind of mentality with it so you know if someone's identifying with what you're saying and they feel like maybe they do suffer from exercise addiction you know what is your recommendation for them to start to overcome it sometimes you just have to stop you just yeah. have to rest and I think that that was kind of where I had gotten because I had done my last marathon was in October of 2011 and I was going to sign up for a race in the spring and then something happened and I ended up not doing it and then 2012 was going on and I was having some issues with my foot. It wasn't anything that was major but it was just kind of a nagging thing and I'm still running 40 to 50 miles a week. I'm still in marathon training mode even though I didn't have a race on the calendar and all of a sudden I just said, you know what, I just can't do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm just tired. There's no joy in this. I'm burned out. But it's so funny because even though a relationship, in this case my relationship with running, even though it wasn't necessarily a healthy one at the time, and even though it wasn't serving me, it was still all that I knew. So I had a really hard time stopping. But I had to because I wasn't happy in either place. I wasn't happy not running and I wasn't happy running. So I had to go through the yuckiness of not running in order to realize that running was something I wanted to do just because I wanted to do it, not because I wanted to train for a marathon, not because I wanted people to pay attention to me or define me as the runner so I could get attention. I had to get to the point where I was process-oriented. I was moving my body in ways that I enjoyed, and it was easy, and it didn't require much motivation externally because it was easy to sustain because it was something I liked to do. And in my case, I had to stop doing it. I would Sometimes I would just go for walks, and again, it was the whole thing. I was eating whatever I wanted and I was hardly exercising. So it was which is like a recipe for disaster if you're like a disordered eater and a chronic dieter and an excessive – it's wicked scary, really, <laughs> really scary. But I had gotten to the point where I, I felt like I had nothing left to lose because I had lived my life this long and I was tired of it. So I had to stop. I had to stop most everything, which was very difficult because, again, fitness is my vocation. So I have to be in a gym every day. And that was tricky for me. So I would go help other people work out and get them in shape and then I'd go home and not do anything. But it was it was what I needed to do at the time. And in a way, I felt a bit hypocritical. But at the same time, I, I had to sort of honor where I was and realize that I was just dealing with something completely different. And I had to get over that. Did you feel like you had to rediscover new hobbies or new interests in that process? In a way, I kind of did. I started reading more. I started um, trying to just sort of relax a little bit more. I I started learning a little bit more, again, about the whole mind-body connection. And, I again, going for walks because, again, it's something that everybody can do. 
And walking gets a bad rap because of this whole, you know, oh, if you're not working hard enough, you know, then it's not worth it and blah, blah, blah. Walking's a waste of time. I, I really disagree. I think that walking is, is very good and I think it's very healthy and it's something that anyone can do and you can make it intense by adding hills or you can make it less intense by not. You're out in nature. You're getting vitamin D. There's just so much good things about walking in terms of metabolic health and emotional health and well-being. And I think that that's kind of where the shift came is I had to look at movement as something as I did for health and well-being and not weight control. And when I made that connection that I'm exercising only because it's something that makes me feel good, that's when I was able to sort of put it in its proper perspective. But I think when exercise is tied to weight control, it's hard for people. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the journey is not always linear. Do you find yourself sometimes falling back into like an obsessive or um, unhealthy relationship with some of that stuff? Because I, I believe you run marathons. Have you, are you running marathons again? Like, I haven't run any marathons, but I've done um, the last half marathon I did was in 2012. And then this year, I just last year, I just did some 5Ks and 10Ks, but nothing too crazy. Mm hmm. There's always, I call it my runner's brain. My runner's brain is not very helpful. My runner's brain is a little bit, you know, kind of obsessive and this and that and the other thing. But I kind of got to the point where I realized that I'm not, I'm not that. That's not me. Martha Beck wrote this book called The Four Day Win. And she had this awesome comparison about, think about you've got these two personalities. You've got this one personality that's the dictator. That's telling you, you know, you have no control, what's wrong with you, you have to eat this at this certain time and blah, 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 blah. Like think about like a little Hitler shaking his finger at you. Yeah. And then you've got this other person, the wild child that's just kind of like ripped up and kind of dirty and shaggy clothes and everything. And that's the one that wants to eat all the cake and eat all the cookies and eat everything else. So you've got like these two distinct parts of your personality that sort of go back and forth. It's almost like the angel and the devil on the shoulder. Yeah. But then what she teaches you is you want to become the watcher. So you realize you take yourself out of the situation and you don't have to necessarily attach yourself to either one. You're just observing what's going on and sort of making peace with this is kind of how it goes. This is how it is. But I don't have to attach myself to you and I don't have to attach myself to you. But I could be aware of both of you and be okay that you're here. And that was something that was kind of helpful to me because I'm still going to have like these moments where I feel like maybe I shouldn't eat that or maybe I should be at the gym an hour longer but those are just things that are going to pop up from time to time and I have to be okay with them mm -hmm. and I have to kind of know where they're coming from and it's getting a lot easier I've been doing this now for maybe three years and the fact that I'm helping other people discover the things that I discovered keeps me fresh and the fact that I can see them have these epiphanies and help them discover really what where the action is because the action is it's not the food it's really not the food at all and it's not your body it's something that's much bigger and once we sort of scratch the surface and we get to the heart of what's going on that's really where the magic happens yes so. oh that's so good and i love that you mentioned those personalities um I know in Mark David's book, The Slowdown Diet, he kind of has an exercise called Who is Eating, which is a little bit similar um, in terms of identifying like who's showing up. And it's really just a, a, like um, an exercise that enables you to step outside of yourself and then recognize who's actually there and then come to a compromise with them. You know, you get to sort of decide whether or not you let them take over or not. So that's uh, that's really cool. I'll have to check out I'll have to check out Martha Beck's book as well. 
she just makes so much sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> as soon as you said those two things, like I honestly, I literally had a conversation with a client about an hour ago where I was sort of like, okay, you've got like a rebel personality, you've got like a type A personality. And I've never read this book, but I just <laughs> kind of know because that's what exists inside people that think about food and exercise this way. And so, uh, yeah, no, I just, I love that you, I love that you mentioned that. I'm going to have to read that for sure. That's so cool. Yeah, it's really a great book too. And it's great for people because she basically talks about the magic of doing something for four consecutive days and how for some reason, it's just that fourth day that sort of kicks you into forming habits. But you start off with like a ridiculously easy goal. And you do it four days in a row. And then you got some momentum going. Mm -hmm. And then you try something else. So it's just it's really a, a, a neat book. I think that you like it. Cool. Yeah, I'll link to that one in the show notes too. So um, as we start to uh, wrap things up here, I'd love to know, do you have any daily rituals that 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 you use to help you you know embrace your body and just kind of you know be in the moment around food I think what I do is I just I never stop learning I never stop reading I never stop thinking about it and I'm in it I'm in it professionally I'm in it personally and I I have the Facebook page I started that a couple years ago when I because I figured it would help me and then to see how it's grown has been good and, and feeling I have a responsibility to other people kind of helps me at the same time because I feel like I'm sort of getting out of what I'm giving mm -hmm. and the more that I give and the more that I help the more I feel like I'm inspired and the more I feel like I've sort of shored myself up a little bit and filled my own cup so it's just it's something that took me so long to do and it was so hard fought. It was, it's, it's worth it. And it's probably one of my greatest achievements as a human being to have been able to, to go through what I did. And it seems like it's something I'm always going to want to hold on to. I don't see myself ever kind of falling off the wagon and going back to dieting. I don't ever see myself being critical about my body again. Maybe it's a combination of the study that I've done and maybe it's just a natural side effect of getting older. But I'm 43 years old and I've made these discoveries about myself and I watch my mother who is 72 years old and she still obsesses about the size of her pants. Mm -hmm. And it makes me very, very sad. Yeah. Because there's so much more to life than the size of your pants. Yeah. I would rather people remember me for my laugh or the way that I would tell a joke or the way that I would smile or a sparkle in my eye or anything. I don't want to be remembered for my pristine workout ethic. I don't want to be remembered as the person who ran eight marathons. I just want to be remembered for my character, for my sense of humor, if I was a good friend, if I was a good person, if I was a good listener, if I was a good coach, I think that's really how I want to be remembered. That's the legacy that I want to leave. No, oh, I love that. That's such a good way to sort of start to close things out here. So the last question that I love to ask all of my guests is what is the most fearless thing that you have done? You know, it's funny because I thought about that when you sent me the uh, little outline of what we're going to discuss. Mm -hmm. And I, if my first instinct was to say to to run a marathon, but yeah. I think the most fearless thing that I've ever done was seek help for sexual abuse. I was sexually abused when I was a child, and it really profoundly affected me. And it's probably got some tie-ins to my disordered relationship with food as well. But I had some repercussions from the sexual abuse that I suffered um, of a physical nature. And I had a discussion with my husband one day about seven or eight years ago, and he 
and I had just kind of gone around and around it. We were having some challenges with intimacy and I just wasn't facing what I had to do and I wasn't facing up to the fact that I needed to sort of deal with this once and for all. And he said something very powerful to me. He said, you know what, Cindy, I love you, but I can't fix this for you. You have to do this yourself. Yeah. And at that point, it was like the light bulb went on and I decided that it was time to um, put the big girl pants on <laughs> and, and do something about this. So I had developed a condition called vaginismus, which is involuntary contraction of the PC muscles. Of course, I didn't know this. I had to find this out on the internet. Thank yeah. God for the internet. Yeah. And internet MD. <laughs> <laughs> internet for the win. So I actually found a physical therapist who dealt specifically with pelvic floor disorders and this kind of condition. And I went to physical therapy and I was petrified. I was scared out of my mind because I didn't know how to deal with this. I was like disconnected from the waist down. I had really kind of lost touch with myself as a woman. And then I had to kind of learn how to use dilators. I mean, I'm completely oversharing here. <laughs> I had to do all these things. And I have to say, I mean, I wasn't even able to insert a tampon until I was 36 years old. But it was something that I finally decided I had to do. I couldn't live the way that I was living anymore. So that was my crowning achievement number two was wow. getting help and healing myself. And Because I had never really told anyone when it happened. I was only six years old and I never really told my parents until I got older. And I never got to comfort that little girl that was taken advantage of. I never got to really let her know that everything was okay because no one was there to comfort her. So I had to sort of be that person. And then once I was able to do that, then it was easy to get the help because I had sort of aligned those parts of myself. So I think that was probably uh, the most fearless thing I've ever done. Yeah, that takes a lot of courage and bravery. And I really, really commend you for that. And thank you for being so vulnerable and open about it. Because, uh, you know, the more that you kind of share that piece of your story, you know, hopefully that will reach someone who maybe needs to hear it and do and do the same thing. Well, I've always been a firm believer that there's no shame in our history and that we need to be open about it and we need to be okay with it. And if we are willing to share it, then that's also healing to us as well. So I'm happy to have a platform that I can sort of tell my story. And I really appreciate you having me on today. Yeah. So where can people find you? Well, you can also find me um, on Facebook, obviously. I have a blog that I've woefully neglected <laughs> that I'm one of these days going to get back on, but I have a link to that, I think, on my Facebook page, which people can find. It's uh, cindylurunning.blogspot.com, but there's a link where it says website on the Facebook page. Um, you can also go to pumpsfit.com, www.pumpsfit, P-U-M-P-S-F-I-T.com. That is the link to the gym where I work as a trainer and an eating psychology coach. And if anyone ever wanted to get in touch with me through that website, there's a, a link, I think, for feedback. And then that message would just come to me. And so you can find me that way. You can find me on Facebook and um, an email. People are welcome to email me, Cindy S, C-Y-N-D-I-S, at pumpsfit.com if they have any questions or if they want to talk about coaching or anything like that. Those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me right now. And you would see people like remotely, right? We... <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, for yeah. sure. Good, def definitely. Yeah. Well, as I said, you know your your Facebook page, love love your body, love your body project, peace, love food. I I just love it. You always link to really good things, but you also just share pretty uh, open insights, which are always really really good. So I I highly recommend it to anyone who's just looking for some further you know body acceptance inspiration as well as. 
um, you know, just eating what you want and enjoying life. So thank you again so much for all of your time and sharing your story and your insights. Such good stuff here. It was it was really, really awesome to chat with you. Oh, thank you, Summer. I really appreciate it. And again, um, I really enjoyed talking to you as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Rock on. You too. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, rockyourbodynow.com. Only a click away. And I will see you backstage there. It's going to be awesome. And if you like this show and you like this episode, leave me a review. Hey, that would be really nice. Um, Go to iTunes and just, you know, click, leave a review. It means so much, not just to my ego, but, um, (laughs) and I'm kidding, but to, uh, to other people like, you know, we need to get more women listening to this podcast. And when you leave a review that helps other people to find it. So that's why I would love it if you did that. And that's it for this week. Rock on party people.